Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 72 my name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling and Recovery in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's challenges or difficulties, please reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. So if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend or share it on Facebook or Instagram or any other social media channel where you think people would benefit. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate getting the information out there for people who are struggling with addiction or love someone who's struggling with addiction. So I totally appreciate that. Also, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, answer a few questions, and you can be part of that conversation as well. So today our guest is Eli Nash, the founder of Mic Drop, a public speaking training program that puts a special emphasis on sharing personal stories. Now Eli shares his motivation and why he founded Mic Drop, and it comes out of his own personal story of how sharing his story allowed him to find healing from past abuse and porn addiction. And he learned that in sharing his story and not holding all his secrets, he was able to find freedom and peace and uh, really build the life that he really wanted to build. So I think it's a great story and it really shows you when you have the courage to reach out and talk with others how you can find healing and uh, we talk a lot about that in the interview as well he also has a great uh ted talk that i encourage you to check out 
I'll link that in the show notes as well. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a great interview and I, and I love talking with them. So let's get this started. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Today, my guest is Eli Nash, and he's going to talk about a couple different issues, I hope. He's going to talk about porn addiction. He's going to talk about a little bit about shame and a little bit about sharing your story in healing that process. So Eli, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. Each one of those requires its own discussion. Sharing a story, shame, addiction. In terms of myself, I live in Miami today. I grew up in New York. I run a couple of businesses. One is a cell phone distribution business, and the other is a company that uh, gives both the training and the platform for people to share their stories called Mike Those are the two businesses. I live with my wife and two children. And uh, most recently, and one of the reasons we're on this talk is I did a TED talk called Escaping Porn Addiction, Right. where I've shared about that. Which is an awesome, I would, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well. A link to that video. I think it's a, your story is great. So you want to share a little bit about how you got the TED talk and I guess starting from the very beginning, what kind of woke you up to struggling with porn? What was the, the catalyst that said, I got an issue here? Yeah. So there are a couple of things that, that went into it, but I, I think I knew I had an issue a long time ago. I never looked at it as an addiction. I think it's not in our, our vernacular, maybe now more so, but certainly when I was a kid, that wasn't the case. You talk about drug addiction or alcohol addiction, that was something people spoke about, but I didn't even know the term sex addiction as a teenager. But I was engaging in behaviors in an addictive way at a young age. And what I mean by addictive, you know, for, for a lot of the hallmarks of addiction, shame is one, but also the secrets, right? So at a very young age, the male would come to my house and... I would, you know, scan the mail to see what was in there. And if there was any sort of catalog that had a lingerie section that was down my pants and I'd figure out how to sneak through the house to get it to a place right. that was safe. And these were these all these little secret stashes that I had throughout the house. I'm one of nine children and we didn't live in a very large home. So finding a quiet place needed a few different corners of the house to have stuff. So tucked into in between a few books, maybe one catalog tucked into my clothing in my room that I shared with two of my brothers was another catalog tucked into the, each bathroom in the house were another couple of catalogs. And just as time went, I built up this, this little stash of magazines. And obviously once the internet, once, you know, computers started in every household and then the internet and that physical stash became a secret stash and hidden folders in the computer and the like. And so it kind of took a life of its own. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And not talking to anyone about it. Never never reaching out to anyone and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Um, I don't know what to do. But to myself saying, okay, I got to figure out a way to stop. Right. So I went to boarding schools at a young age and I was like, okay, I'm going away to school. It's a new start. It's fresh. I'm not going to have access to any of this stuff. I'm done. Right. I'm done the porn. I'm done the probation. I'm done. And find another way in that environment for it to start up again. Right. So it kept coming back. And, and that's one of the hallmarks of addiction, right? It keeps returning. You keep making efforts to stop. You seem like it, it has its own control over you and you, you're going against your own values, beliefs to engage in that. Yeah. Difficult to stop. Yeah. I think it's one of the most demoralizing feelings when we commit to stopping something and we see that we can't. Right. When you talk about the bottom, I know there are different bottoms, but every bottom on some, some level is an emotional bottom, right? It's not 
you have some people get arrested and don't hit a bottom. Right. You hear the story sometimes. I, I know a guy who spent five years in prison for sex addiction. And I asked him about his, his bottom. He said his bottom uh, was not when he, when he spent time in prison, it was like, okay, I got to do things in a way that's not as risky. That's not as dangerous. It doesn't break laws, but it wasn't this, oh my goodness, addiction has brought me to my knees. And it was a couple of years later where there was an emotional emptiness that he suddenly got in touch with. He's like, wow, this is devastating. My bottom was recognizing that I'm an addict. So there were other things that on the outside, in the external, you'd say, okay, that should have been a bottom, right? The loss of a very important relationship or really hurting other people in my life or spending much more time and much more money on addiction than I ever wanted to. But when I recognized that when I really tried to stop and I couldn't, and I recognized that this is an addiction, and then I, didn't, I don't struggle with alcohol addiction, drug addiction, or any of those other gambling. As a matter of fact, I always look down on it. Right. So when I saw the drug addict, alcoholics, I was like, wow, what's wrong with these guys? They can't control it. I didn't say the words out loud, but in my mind, I had a lot of judgment towards it. So when I, and I understand now why I had so much judgment, because I had my own judgment towards myself about my addictive behaviors, but at the time, I didn't have that language for it. So I had judgment for the actions of what they were doing, which was judgment for myself of what I was doing. And once I really had to internalize that I have an addiction too, the emotional devastation of that, the demoralization of trying to stop something really, really hard and realizing that I can't and having no other choice but to reach out to someone for help. Who I reached out to for help was a therapist that I'd been seeing for five years off and on. So we weren't, we weren't strangers by any stretch of the imagination. I wasn't finding someone for the first time and saying, hey, I'm stuck with this. This was a guy who I was meeting with. And conversations had come up about different behaviors. And I was abused sexually as a child for a several-year period. So the therapist had asked me different questions about sex all the time to see if there was any, anything going on. And it was deny, 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 lie, whatever I could to avoid those conversations or minimize if I said something. And here I went in and said, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. I need your help. Wow. That's a big moment too, because that's like, you, you think about it here, you have this five-year relationship with somebody, a therapist, even though it's therapeutic and the shame is still so great that it's such a struggle to share. Yeah. I spoke about everything with this guy, everything. And it was just something about the, the porn addiction and something it's, it's, it's also easier to share about something when it's in the past right. than it, when it's ongoing right then. So I was like, yeah, I was abused sexually as a child, but it's no longer going on. Not that it was easy to share. It's easier right. to share. But that was like, hey, I watched porn last night and then again this morning. And I'm probably going to watch it tonight again. And I don't know what, what to do. F to do. Yeah. Wow. So that's like that moment when you realize like, I, I, have, to, I have to say something. Yeah. In hindsight, it's you know, the best thing I did. And it was courageous and good and positive. But what got me there was my head between my knees, feeling really, really helpless and feeling like a total failure and saying to this man, who, like I said, knew for five years, I need your help. Right. And that's in, when I was listening to your TED talk, that's where you said, he said, hey, go talk to this other, this other person. Yeah. So what happened, he introduced me to someone else who was seeing him for the same thing amongst, amongst other things, porn as well. And when he introduced me to him, that guy was part of a support group. And I went, I had lunch with this guy. I got to know him more and more. And eventually he invited me into his community, which I, I don't talk about on the TED Talk itself, but what I'm referring to is a 12-step support group. Right. So you went to 12-step and, and you started to meet other people that yeah. were like you. 
And I think that that's what makes room for for healing is to get get out of the shame long enough. Because when it's shame, that shame cycle, to me, like the power of addiction, like why is addictive addiction so powerful, is that shame cycle. Right. It, once we get caught in it, it's almost we we know nowhere else to turn. Oh yeah, shame takes us and uh, hides us away. Yeah, and I want to make a differentiation between that and the power of you know a physical or a chemical addiction, which is very, very intense, but we get over it in 30 to 60 days. It's not going to keep me going back somewhere for six years. Right? If, right. Right. Right now I haven't watched porn in close to three years. Right. There's none of that physical dopamine withdrawal or any of that stuff going on in my system anymore. But what there is, is that ability to get tripped up in shame and know the only way to escape it. Right. Like and pathways are still there. I Oh, shame. It really feels intense. It feels like I can't turn anywhere. There's my old friend again, porn. And that's when the addictive urges come. So, you know, there's the shame at the front end and then there's recurring shame that comes up just in normal everyday life. And having a group that I can go to and talk about it and talk about things about life is is what keeps me away from what keeps me away. And, you know, shame is all about when, when I look at shame and, um, I mean, I just know how painful shame is. It's just such a painful emotion to experience. And when you're in it, you really just want to hide away. You you don't want anybody to see you. You kind of go inward with this horrible feeling. And it just manifests through your... I don't know how to describe it. just manifests through your whole body. And the hardest thing is to reach out to somebody else, another human being that's just terrifying. Yeah, I think it's important when we use words like shame that we dis- we define it. Mm-hmm. A description that works for me is Brene Brown's description, and I use it in my TED Talk as well, is it's a fear of um, not being worthy of connection. Yeah. Right? And that's why when we feel that feeling of shame, we don't want to talk to anyone. We want to isolate. We want to be away from. We don't want people to know certain things. That's why the secrets come about is there's this overwhelming fear we feel that if someone knew this about me, They'd have no interest in connecting with me. And it can be the people who are closest to us. If they knew this about us, they'd have, that's the fear. Yeah, And that's why it's so important to counteract that and to have a group of people that you meet with. It, doesn't, it, it didn't start with me calling this guy up and saying anything. What he did, he, was, you know, he, he knew the rules of the game for shame. And what he did was when I started talking to him and he understood generally, hey, this doctor gave me your number because I'm struggling with porn, but okay, that he knew. But now the details are everything that matters, right? How often, what type, right? Uh, what a way of, right? Those, those kind of things are where the shame really lives. I waited for him to tell me, mm-hmm. right? That, it, that I've, I've been consumed by porn so much that I've missed important business meetings and like lost stuff because of it. Then I'm losing a relationship over this thing. Like those are the things that are really, really hard to say. And he just opened up with, let me tell you my story and how, uh, you know, he had a marriage for a number of years and his wife caught him one too many times on porn, each time promising that he stopped. And it just, it destroyed everything. And she told her kids about it. And he had all that shame in front of his kids about what he was doing and type of porn escalates and gets a little bit more violent and a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more shameful. Right, right. And then it's... Uh... And all of, those, all of those details, once he shared it with me, I was like, okay, let me tell you my story. And that's where, that's where it really frees up. That's, 
So this other person who is almost the catalyst for you to just feel comfortable enough to begin to share your story. Exactly. I spoke a little bit in the comfort of a therapist's office and it's these, little, these small breakthroughs, right? And you know, when I look back at the TED Talk, it's kind of like the one piece I feel like I, I really missed is I'm not recommending that people get up on a TED stage and like launch their conversation from there. They've never told anyone that they're struggling with a behavior. And you see, I, in my talk, I'm not only focused on porn addiction, I'm focused about the general things that bring us shame. And that can be different for everyone. And just to talk about those and that sharing our hardships is a way to move us through shame and into healing. And where I feel like it could get a little confusing for the listener is that I'm not talking about from the stage, right? It's these little micro steps that we take that eventually, you know, when someone asks me today, it's like, holy shit, how are you talking about this from the stage? I have no idea. Like it didn't start there, but slow time doing things that are more and wanting to pay back what this guy gave me. If this guy was, I hate to use a term, but if he was a little bit more selfish and said, like, I don't want to share that, it definitely would have held me back from getting the healing that day. And I, I feel like if no one did that at some point in time, I never would have got the healing I got. So for me, a lot of what I'm doing today is paying it forward. So I pay it forward by myself sharing my stories. And that's exactly why I created that company, Mic Drop, our company, which is both a training and a plat and the platform for people to share their stories. A lot of people have very powerful stories, but don't quite know how to share it. How do I give you the 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and make a coherent point from everything that happened to me in my decades on the planet? Right. Having a little training, and then oftentimes there's a lot of fear associated with it, whether it's fear of public speaking in general, or fear of attention, or fear of the difficult emotions that may come up. And we help people through all of that. And then we give them a platform to share their story, which is in a lot of ways, like I said, what was done for me and me paying it forward. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I'd also add too, I think about shame and you know, my own experience with shame through my life and and working through it is also finding the right people to share it with. Very key. You know, not everybody deserves your story. It's it's key, but at different stages, that's different. So where I am now, like had I shared it with the wrong person, you know, the, the therapist was very key. Right, that I get him right. Because if, if I got it wrong, if he had shame around this specific behavior, it could have, around this specific issue, it could have derailed very quickly. That person he introduced me to, that was very important. Then the groups that I started speaking at, that was very important. But now, where I am now and having spoken about it so many times in safer and safer and safer environments, I feel like I can look at my TED Talk and see 300 thumbs downs and not be like, oh man. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm a horrible person. I got to run away again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and it takes a lot of courage to like put that out there. I think it takes purpose. So just realizing what it did. I mean, realizing how powerful it was for me. You know, this therapist was spot on and I don't know, you know, if there are professionals listening listening to this, I don't know how many therapists would do that, right? And say, let me refer you to someone else to talk to about the subject. There's risks associated with that. That can also go wrong. But him understanding that in order for me to get my healing, if this is an addiction, in order for me to get my healing, it's going to have to come from more than just therapy. Right. Like you're going to need more people in your life to be able to share this story and and put it out there and, and talk about it and other people who can share their story back with you. Yeah. And often it starts with, with those. I take the responsibility on me when I'm talking to a new person the responsibility sits on me to share my story first. 
And then once I do, it frees them up to as well. What I find pretty amazing is when I talk to someone, I'm often inspired to share different aspects of my story. For whatever reason, I start talking and, you know, we talk about porn. I can talk to you about strip clubs. I can talk to you about going to different countries where prostitution is legal and looking for those outlets. And when I'm talking to, to people and I go into different topics, I found I find that there's something that inspired me to share that. And then very often like that could be their specific, that can be the specific experience. And what I'll tell people who are looking for help with this is don't only hear my story, like go out, talk to other people. That's why support group is so important because when we start hearing other people's stories, we'll have to hear about 10, 15 or 20 different stories to hear all of the different aspects that brought us specific shame. Right. So, For example, one of the areas that brought me particular shame is porn gets progressive and gets progressive fast. And when, you know, you're looking at the categories and one day you're looking at lesbian porn and the next day you're looking at gay porn. And the first person I spoke to didn't share that as part of his story, but that was my story. And he didn't mention that. And I wasn't comfortable mentioning it. It wasn't until several months in where someone said, hey, my porn took me to places I don't identify. I don't identify as gay. It's not what I think I'm interested in. But I'm looking at the categories. I'm looking for something more and more. And one day I click on that. And I was like, man, thank you so much for saying that. Right. This is part of it was like there's residual shame that's still like are tucked away in corners until we can hear someone else share that same aspect of it. And I saw the same thing happen with recently in the support group I was talking to where one guy just got bold. And it's interesting within a support group, right? So you talk to people who understand this concept, shame is that insidious and that deep that someone needs to be their first torch bearer. Yeah. And someone shared a story of meeting a, a woman in a gym, being attracted to her hitting on her, finding out she's a prostitute, agreeing to meet with her, and then finding out she's a man. Right. And in that moment saying, F it. Yeah, going, I'm going to not even be in my own orientation. Doesn't matter. Right. I, they're in their And then enjoying it. Mm-hmm. That becoming part of their new template and something that they seek out and everything else. And just how much, and he said, you know what, I'm stepping out into this, I'm going to share this. and. He shared that. And within a week or so, three or four other people with very similar stories around that people I know for a long time are saying, hey, that's part of my story too. That's part of my story too. And those things, what's interesting about it is on its face, when we hear this, we think, oh, if we remove the shame around it, then I may just go and do more of it, a behavior that I'm, but it's just the opposite. It's totally counterintuitive. Right. The shame is more engaged in it. So when I can, lift the shame from that behavior, that's when the healing can come in sunlight and say, I don't need to go there anymore. It's not, it's not carrying that same weight, that same pull and that same um, compulsion that it once did. And I think one of the reasons that as society, we don't share more besides for personal shame is we're afraid that, oh, it's going to give more and more of a pass for people to feel like this is things they can do when it does just the opposite. No one wants to do these things. No one wants to use human beings in this way. That's not what's happening. Well, yeah. I think also like what you're, you know, you're talking about as, as you don't have to run from your internalized shame, you don't have to engage in behaviors that escalate you out of it, if that makes sense. Or you get to be yourself and you get to live in your own value system and you're not running from your shame. I mean, I think addiction ultimately is that process of running. I can't be in myself. I can't be with myself. I can't be with others. 
I've got to just feel something different. And it doesn't matter how I get it at some level. At some point, I just, I just got to be different. I cannot handle this. Right. And escaping from, from that feeling. And we go back to the definition of shame, the one that we're operating with for this conversation is that fear of not being worthy of connection. Right. And we understand exactly why. You know, that's what's amazing to me is our connection, our conversation right now happened because I shared about pornography. Right. Oddly enough, is I was once afraid of sharing this, thinking that I would not be worthy of connection, when in fact, it has been my greatest source of connection. Yeah. My ability, my willingness to speak about some of these subjects, which were at a point in time very, very difficult. Like, I don't want anyone listening to this to come to the conclusion that I'm just someone who I have an easy time talking about these subjects. Not at all, not naturally. And the first time I did it, I was quivering and shaking and things like that. But over time, I realized what has happened. But some of my best friends struggled with the same thing. It's like, man, finally. Right. That's such a great point. Because that is that is the irony. It's like you're terrified of people knowing you. But the moment you find safe people that get to know you, you feel this deep connection and you feel bonded and that shame lifts and um, or some of it. And uh, you finally go, oh, wow, I can connect. I can feel okay. We put a lot of our talks on our YouTube channel. It's Mic Drop with Rosh Lowe is the name of our YouTube channel. Because if you just Google, if you just search Mic Drop, a lot of other stuff come up. So Mic Drop with Rosh Lowe, you can see some of our, our talks. And what a lot of our speakers say is that when they put their, their talks out on our channel, uh, people connect with them. Send them a message on Facebook or on Instagram and saying, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I saw your story about losing a relative to addiction or losing a husband to addiction. I'll tell you a great story. This is an amazing story. So I don't always see all the workshops and see all the trainers, but I happen to see this person when they started and the eventual talk they gave. So I'm sitting in this workshop. I'm not the one leading the workshop, but I'm just monitoring it. And this girl sitting there, and a woman in her 30s, extreme discomfort, extreme, extreme discomfort throughout the workshop. There's about 20 people in it. It's about two and a half hour workshop. And towards the end of it, the last, it was about to end. And this, the, anyone else want to jump up in front of the room? And we kind of teach the rules of storytelling and give people the opportunity to take some of the techniques and say, hey, do you want to demonstrate this technique in front of the room? So this woman who's uncomfortable from beginning to end finally says, you know, I want to say something. And she, she gets up and her, you see her body language is completely torn. There's a part of her that's standing there and a part of her that doesn't want to be there at all. She starts, stops, starts, stops. And people in the room are like, come on, don't worry. And we've already heard right, 10 or 12 other people speak for her, some of them about very, very personal subjects, um, shameful things. A lot of people got emotional when they were speaking, but she was still having a really difficult time. Finally, someone says, don't feel pressured. You don't want to do it. Sit back down. Don't feel any responsibility to, to talk about it. So she starts walking to her seat. And then she says, you know what? I've come here for this. I just got to get this off my chest. And she says, I have this condition where it's called something like trichotillomania or something. It's mm-hmm. where she pulls out her hair. Right. And I think, I think in her case was on her head. And she wore a wig to cover it. And wigs are, you know, natural looking and expensive. Can't always Right, know. right. Yeah. I didn't know. And just how much shame this brought her. And for the last 20 years, she's been doing everything to hide the fact that she has these bald patches on her head and she doesn't want anyone to know about her or anything else. So the room is very understanding. And, you know, you mentioned that importance of being able to, who you share with, so, you know, people gave 
similarities, but no one was able to speak to that. So I, someone said, I cut myself for a period of an eating disorder or stuff like that, like trying to connect with her on some level. And that was the end of it. About two months later, she gives her speech. So we do all of our events, the end of it in the theater. She gives her speech in a theater and in front of 300 people. One of the people in the audience was one of her best friends, as she referred to it, who came over to her afterwards and said, you know, I've, I've had the same, I have the same thing and I've been hiding that from you. I've been hiding that from everyone. These are two people who know each other. Wow. And when I, when I say the story now, I kind of like goosebumps. But, wow. you know, for two close friends to be struggling with the same thing, you know, and I ask you, and the question is obvious. Do you think their friendship is stronger now or less strong? Do they have a better connection or a worse connection? Yeah. That's an amazing story. I, you know, when I think about this and I, and I think about sharing and, and part of this podcast too is allowing people to have voices and, and share some of their, their story about addiction and the trials and tribulations that go along with that, also about getting help too. But when we start to share our story, I really feel like we connect to our universal humanity, that we're all in this life together, struggling to find our way and sometimes it's hard. And, and the more we connect on that, the more we can support each other, the easier the journey is. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've noticed um, most, like probably what I've learned the most in starting the company is how similar our stories are. Yeah. Even, there could be differences. You know, we had one guy get up and talk about trying out for the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves and facing a left-handed knuckleballer, which he never did through high school or college, striking out and missing the opportunity and afterwards never being able to pick up a bet. Okay. So that's not everyone's story. Right. But, but what are we talking about in there? We're talking about the feeling of failure. We're talking about the feeling of loss, missed opportunity, mm-hmm. shame, that gnawing question sitting with him for 20 years. What if, what if, what if, what if? So if we strip apart the Atlanta Braves, the baseball and that, like the feelings that we're talking about, so many of them, so many people can identify with that feeling of failure, that feeling of missing out on a huge opportunity, that feeling of great loss. And right. we see as, as what I've learned really through, through running this company for the last year is how similar we all are as people. Yeah. And those like those yeah. strands of humanity that exist in all of us. We all want a lot of the same stuff. We're not looking for wildly different things. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And um, I think as we're kind of getting close to the end of our time, you know, on that note, if anybody's listening to this podcast, hopefully people are listening to this podcast, but anybody out there listening right now, what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say to them? Whether they're struggling with addiction, whether they have a loved one struggling with addiction or whatever they're struggling with, what would you want to tell them? For themselves is ask for help. I guess find someone to ask for help. If you don't know anyone in your immediate circle, because it is important to get that first person right, then look online, you'll find someone who shared a similar story and send them a message. I get messages all the time from people and I do my best to respond. And my messages that I'm getting are mostly about porn addiction. I've got messages from all over the world, people watching story and I can be that first person. We have that. We have that benefit of social media and technology, which has a lot of its downsides, but there's also an upside. Right. When I get an email from some guy in India, from another guy in Pakistan, from another guy, just People who found me on the TED Talk reach out to me and they send me a message saying they're struggling and I can have a, a short back and forth or sometimes even get on the phone with them or refer them to someone else and start that process of getting themselves help. And then the other part is that as you start getting some of those, don't be selfish with your story. Share it. 
share it with others. If you don't feel like you have the training, reach out to us. We'd be glad to help. We offer some scholarships in some cases. If it's stories that we feel that the world needs at that particular time, other times we we don't. But get that story out there in some format or another. There are tons of online courses. You never know who that person is going to touch. And sometimes you can touch your very best friend who's dealing with the same damn thing. Yeah, absolutely. Share your story. Well, Eli, how can people get a hold of you? Can you give us your website, your contact information? So if anybody's listening, they can uh, reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. Our website is micdrop.one.one. So anyone could uh, head over there and our contact information and more about our site, our YouTube channel as, as well. Myself, by the best, I'm on Instagram, relatively active. My name on Instagram is Eliyahu underscore Nash. That's my full name. So E-L-I-Y-A-H-U underscore Nash. You can reach out, send a message, and see what's going on. Awesome. I'll put all that in the show notes as well so people can look it up there on the website, on theaddictedmind.com. They get that there as well. So Eli, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. Once again, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 72. As I said earlier, I would definitely check out his TED Talk and uh, I will include that link in the show notes as well. Also, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend. Anybody else who may need help or encouragement or support as they go through the addictive process or have a loved one in the addictive process and want good information, it would be awesome for them to be able to listen to the Addicted Mind. So I appreciate that. You can also join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll see you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.